0: You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug.
1: Well, greetings once again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm excited about today's show because this, uh, this episode is not going to be just about business learning and everything, but it's about a, a personal journey. A gentleman who's my guest has a really compelling story to tell, and it's actually going to reach a very large part of the population that's out there. His name is Adam Gunton, and Adam, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks so much for having me. I don't want to steal any of your thunder. Help us understand kind of a, if you can give us a flyover, 20,000 foot view of your story and what it is you're doing now because of that story.
0: Yeah, I grew up, you know, kind of the all American boy. I I went to a school everybody's heard of Columbine High School, you know, and when I was growing up, uh, I was on a state championship football team. Uh, growing up, Little League, I was the home run derby hitter at the Little League World Series. But I had this deep, dark secret that when I was 12 years old, I was introduced to cocaine. So then, when I go through my high school career, you know, I was a captain of the football team and we won state my senior year, captain of the wrestling team. But I had this deep, dark secret that I was partying more and more and more and more. And then, after a traumatic experience, my freshman year of college, I started to use drugs specifically to cope with life. They were no longer just a way to party and have fun, but they became my solution to the way that I felt, the way that I thought being able to go out and get to know people or go out and feel okay in crowds, all that kind of stuff. And it progressed, you know, like a lot of the addiction stories do all the way to, you know, using um, heroin, getting introduced to IV and in on november 6 2015 i was actually found unresponsive without breath or pulse by the police from an overdose and you know i have the body cam footage of that event and you would think that seeing your own dead body on a tv screen in a courtroom facing 5 years in prison because you had dope on you would be enough to make somebody stop but i suffered for two more years and i found myself homeless I was 86 from a homeless shelter, so I was super homeless. And I was unable to stop using the very drugs that were taking everything from me. And it got to a point where I, I tried everything. I tried going to meetings. I tried, you know, getting to treatment. I tried church and Bible study and all this stuff. And I I could not get clean. And then after a series of some pretty incredible spiritual experiences and then some help from you know, some people very close to me and going through the 12 steps very hard, uh, I was freed from the obsession to drink or drug. And when that happened, I remember it was because from the time I was 12 years old until this time, this is my first time ever having 30 days free from drugs and alcohol. And now I'm, I'm almost, I'm coming up on six years. And if that's the case, you know, my, my mind for my entire life was going one way, like how long is it gonna be till I use, what am I gonna use, all this. And then I was completely freed from that. And when that happened, I remember, I remember the feeling like, oh my gosh, this is real. This freedom is actually real. And from that moment, I knew that it was my responsibility to share that freedom with other people because I know there's so many people out there suffering like I was not thinking that that freedom is available to them.
1: I think the really scary part of this is is your own, and I don't remember the exact words you use, but essentially the kind of the private life that evolved, and even going all the way back to twelve. And 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 let me ask if I may, without naming names or anything, how did you get introduced at such a young age to a to a powerful substance like that
0: yeah a 21 22 year old uh influence in my life that you know and i I, i've gone through a bunch of work around that i don't blame this person um and you'll hear people say that addiction is out to kill you but i don't agree with that addiction is out to eat you up but stay with you so that it can be contagious to other people because Mm he did he didn't do that to hurt me he thought that drugs were helping him so why not give it to me
1: yeah yeah and how did how did that evolve i mean how were you able to participate at such a young age and yet maybe your parents and your immediate family had no idea what was going on
0: uh yeah it was just I growing up, I had like really good grades, I had all of these things that nobody would ever guess that I was using drugs or drinking, or I made that decision, right. And just on weekends, you know, I got really good at saying I was going to this person's house, uh, but really was going over here, or sneaking out at night. I got to a point when I was 12 or 13, I would go down to the local 7-Eleven, I would sneak out and the guy working there would sell me beer. So, you know, it's, it's not just one person, but it's, and that's the thing, it's, it's this vicious cycle that's going on in America right now because people don't realize marijuana isn't even the gateway drug. The real gateway drug is alcohol, period. And I was actually introduced to cocaine before marijuana. So it's not about, it's about a culture thing that we're doing as a society that It's cool to drink, and it's being more and more normalized and more and more cool about it's cool to use drugs. You know, you're hearing it more and more in music. And the crazy thing is, is how many, you know, artists are overdosing and dying now. So people need to wake up. Right. Well, I know
1: there's going to be some in my normal following that are scratching their head right now going, Doug, what are you thinking? Where, where are we going with this and, and what's what's going on? And I'll, I'll say to those people, when Adam and I first met and we did our prep call, as I always do with my guests, I spent some time pondering that myself. Is this appropriate? Should I do it? And you know, what about it? And i came to the conclusion absolutely yes we this is a subject that needs to get talked about it needs to be talked about in a healthy way not condemning the behavior but raising awareness raising curiosity raising sensitivity to those around us who may in fact be struggling and I guess if I do anything to pull it back to the center of the normal kind of show I have, I will say to you, if you're a business leader or company owner, you may have big numbers in your employment pool that are struggling with this, but they show up as perfectly functioning every day. And you're never going to know it until they somehow go over the edge. 100%.
0: 100%. And I mean, it's not just the company pool. Also, there's leaders out there struggling with this in silence. Also, true. I went to a uh, I went to a mastermind here in Colombia, And what we what we did, we rented this, uh, this huge mansion, you know, on this hilltop and uh, 50 of us got together before and five of us spoke. I was one of the speakers. And, you know, I speak about writing a book and the power of that and branding and how how sharing your story can build your audience and you can influence people with your story and how powerful that is. You know, I'm speaking to business leaders. And then after the mastermind, there's this huge party that happens. There's four or 500 people there. There's, you know, girls walking around with trays of cocaine and stuff. And it's, it is, it just is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being around that. But what you wouldn't guess is that during that night, 3 of the people that were at that mastermind pulled me to the side in private and asked me what to do. One of them could not eat breakfast without drinking a fifth of whiskey. And it's not it's it's become something now where, you know, even business leaders, 47% of American adults have someone in their life right now that they're connected to and love that is struggling with substance use disorder right now, not in recovery. And if that's the case, I wanna tell you that, that there is hope and there's resources out there, like crazy amounts of resources now. And the biggest thing that people that are struggling need is a message that reaches them to let them know like, hey, it's not going in a good direction. Like it's, it's gonna get worse. Uh, if you're feeling like you have to drink or you have to use drugs or you have to do this in order to live, it progresses from where you're at now people don't normally think i have to have a drink at the end of the day i have to he, that's not a normal thing and you know if you if you're out there it's it's worth it there's all the studies show that alcohol does nothing for you nothing
1: well yeah yeah I mean if anything the prevailing studies prove the the dulling of the brain and the dulling of the cognitive senses and the ability to act and react and all of that so uh, none of it's good <laughs> none yeah. of it is performance enhancing
0: Right exactly right and something so, something with with leadership also because I know this is kind of what um obviously what this podcast is about and something that I want to make clear is that I talk about addiction on every podcast that I go to but I also live in a way where this is my specific group of people that I am out to lead and I am out to help with what they're doing. And every every leader should have that that group of people that they're focused on, right? I mean that there's there's a specific niche of people that you're focused on. But there's also a bunch of characteristics that each of us have, or each of us should be growing towards in order to lead our groups better and better, right? There's not a whole lot of people that are in recovery, waking up at four o'clock in the morning, hopping in 34 degree water for 10 10 to 12 minutes, and then hopping into the gym and then coming back and doing all of the, like my list of six priorities and that kind of stuff, because that's what we're supposed to do. And something a, a mentor of mine told me a few months ago is that us leaders, our integrity, the way that we operate, actually is contagious into our organization. And the people that we lead will never have access to the actual level of integrity that we're able to operate at. If we're leading, you know, 100, 500, 1,000 people, we have to do what we say. We have to be doing these things behind closed doors because there's there's something to it. There's something to us operating at our, at our peak that causes people just to subconsciously operate at their peak that we're leading. And after a mentor told me that I actually witnessed that in my own organization and witnessed the opposite in a negative way in someone else's organization. It was really interesting.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of the writing and, and teaching that's been done about leadership and i forget who said it first but they talk about the turn the thoughts of character and integrity as a leader being really judged by what you do when nobody else is watching 100 and it it's not about the show you put on or, or it's not about the persona you've developed that you can go out in public with or go to a team meeting but it's those choices you make totally in private. And are, are those living up to a standard that you expect of yourself? And it's that kind of living a double life that is is so damaging to the, the overall performance of an organization. And, and it's, you know, it is where leaders fail. I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, you know becoming a leader or stepping up and agreeing that you're going to show up as the leader for something. And I I talk about this a lot, that being a leader is not just about the title on your door, on your website or your business card. It's about how you show up in the world around you. You can be a leader at home. You can be a leader in your community. You can be a leader at work, even if you don't have the title. You can become a person of influence that others count on. Hmm. So, and good. it, uh, uh, you know, I, I talk about it frequently. I, I challenge people to pay attention that we need leaders in the world around us, people that truly want to take on and step up and, and be the, the person to, run a project, or run an effort, or run a campaign, and I don't mean political campaign, I mean, you know, some cause out in the in the community, and you do those things that create a greater good for all of us, and yeah. we need people like that. But back to the point, if you are a person that is struggling with addiction of any kind, and i I guess I'm going to go ahead and throw another log on the fire it It doesn't have to be substance addiction. there are behavioral addictions, sex and food, and many other things that people get pulled down with, taken away from the potential they've really got their their yeah. you know divinely given potential yeah so adam if i if I might how- how did you finally make the turn what Was it a person was it an event was it a thing was it
0: or is it a collection of all of the above well um i met jesus face to face at international house of pancakes and i haven't used drugs since Uh, i was there with my with my best friend i was five days clean at the time and um i got a text message on my phone it was from my dope dealer he was like hey i just got some new stuff uh, I'll give you free 20 to try out. And like, when I read that, I felt something go in through the top of my head, all the way through my body. My toes were tingling, my fingers were tingling. And then I lost my peripheral vision. All I could see was the, was the phone and my thumbs just started texting back. And it was like, it was like King James. It was like, "Ye shall not text me again. Thou hast texted me for the last time. It was going crazy. <laughs> and then uh, at the end, um, when I finished the text, I feel this thing like leave me. I was like, what the heck? And I read the phone. I show it to Brandon. I was like, dude, that was not me. That was not me. He was like, okay. I push send. I close the phone and I'm putting it in my pocket. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what that was. And I look back up and Jesus is sitting across from me. And the entire restaurant had completely disappeared. All I could see was his face. There was this bright glow coming from behind him. He was smiling at me. I immediately knew what was happening. Immediately knew who it was, and I fell with my face to the table, my hand up. I said, "Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God." Came back up, and he was gone. And there's there's all kinds of stories like this. This might seem you know crazy or outlandish or whatever, um, but it's actually not that rare for these spiritual experiences to happen for addicts and alcoholics that that have that shift, right? And I'm a very faithful person. Obviously, I met Jesus face to face, but um, I believe in instant healing, right? I believe that he can, you know, cause somebody to be instantly healed of disease, instantly healed of, you know, afflictions, that kind of stuff. But that didn't happen for me. I met him and I was still shaking in withdrawal. You know, I'm 220 pounds right now. I was 148 pounds at the time. I'm like skin and bone, nearly dead waking up, shaking in withdrawals, like craving, needing it so bad. And the only the only relief I would get from that was when I was actually sitting down and doing the work of the 12 steps. So not just going to a meeting because that's, that's a garbage message. You're not, meetings will never be the thing that helps somebody um, that is like me. If you're a real addict or a real alcoholic, there's work that has to be done outside of the meetings also. Right. And I did my fifth step, my first ever fifth step. And the next day is when I had that spiritual awakening that I had no desire to drink or use. And I I believe, and it was a really, really, really good lesson to get that early in recovery, that God is with me, but He's not doing the work for me. He'll help me, He'll work with me. And that's that's what I've witnessed so much in my recovery, also. Like the more, the more disciplined I am, the more action I take towards the vision that I have, the, the more, the more action I take towards the dream, right? Um, the more I watch him show up in like really, really cool way. Cause there's, there's only so much we can do as leaders also. And anybody, you know, whether you um, are Christian or whether you watch, you know, the, the power of synchronicity and that kind of stuff. And the, the focus of the mind, whatever it is that you believe in, There's nobody doing big things here that doesn't believe in something else is going on. Like there's something else going on outside of me, or I'm working with something much bigger than myself, right? And I get to watch that the harder that I work. And I become smaller and smaller the more I learn and the more I work.
1: Yeah. Well, as as many of my listeners do know, I, I, I don't talk about this perhaps enough on my show, but uh, I, I too am a man of faith. I've got my own stories to tell about the presence of, of divine beings in times of need that I've experienced in my own life. And it is an incredibly real and, and powerful presence. And for those who choose to deny that or or argue against it or or just simply ignore it um i i I will go so far as to say i don't know how you're making it (laughs) right i I, i'll I'll just put it that way and leave it there and if you know if that causes me to get letters so be it i'm (laughs) I'm happy to do it i'm gonna write
0: you a letter yeah it's gonna be a thank you letter
1: (laughs) um it uh and i know Well, I'll be honest, I have not shared this on the show before, but I point to a time in my own life, and I I was nowhere what I would call nearly as dramatic as, as an addiction, but what I had was an anger problem that was rooted in the anger toward God that I had lost my dad at a young age. My, mm. my dad died when I was two years old. My mother did an incredible job of raising me in other ways, which I've talked about a lot. But I harbored an anger of, of not having and knowing who that man was for me and in my life, and it, it manifested. And I joined a 12-step program in 1995, and I did the work for over a year and i when you described your part of it's not enough to just go to the meeting you got to do the work well i was doing the work yeah and uh so i i relate 100 percent with what you're saying about that and the um the effort to come clean come clear with whatever it is that is your demon you you have to do that work and, and and you have to really go all in
0: 100%. And, I, and it's a really beautiful lesson that the 12 steps can teach us when we learn that we have to do the work. Right. Because it's not just the 12 steps. It's not just overcoming addiction. It's not just overcoming anger. You know, for any listener out here, there is wherever you're at right now, there is another level of you. There's literally wherever you're at, there is a better version of you, a stronger version of you, a, a more influential version of you. And if we if we're constantly in that headspace, knowing that there is something there's something else we can do to add more and more impact to this planet, you know, that keeps us open to all the different pieces of work that we can do. You know, there's there's habits that just like move the needle like crazy for me that take 10, 15 minutes a day. That it's it's as if I'm doing a whole day worth of uh, effort in 10 or 15 minutes because of what that actually does for my headspace or my, my ability to think, right? And that's, that's one of the biggest things that we as leaders need is we're the thinkers of the organization. We're the ones that have to direct a lot of people where we're going and help them to know how we're getting there because that's how you really keep an organization going. And it's, and it's interesting because an organization comes from the word organism. Like, we're working all in this very specific way towards something, and if one of us gets sick, the whole organism gets sick. So we have, we have a really cool opportunity to change everybody's life that we have, um, you know, in our following or in our in our organization. And them seeing the way that we treat other people, them seeing the way that we're always the first one there, or they see us walking and talking and doing the same things, right? That causes them to go home and be that person without us even saying anything to them. And I've literally witnessed that in my life just by being someone. And then people come and tell me, hey, I saw this and I've been doing this.
1: Right, right, right. And I think it's so important, and and for some reason what's going through my mind right now is a a reflection on a chapter in my life in uh, 2008 during the great crash, economic crash we had. Unemployment spiked up to double digits. People were losing their job. People that had never been without work for like 20, 25 years were losing jobs. And... Uh, I started a, a non-profit. It was a faith-based organization, non-denominational though, but we were, we were there with the mission to help people make that transition in life. Whether they found a new job or not, that wasn't really the end goal, but it was to get through that transition. And what I quickly learned when we opened the doors and started ministering to people it was that whole loss of identity that was wrapped in the job, and that was such a compelling argument and I stood back and said, Oh man this this programming we have in modern culture about you know go get a job, have have your work, define who you are and and shape what you are is is just wrong I mean it's just all upside down.' So one of the biggest things we did was help guide people through a journey to redefine who they believe they were mm. and, and forget a job title or even a skill set. you know, in your heart, in your, in your mind, who are you really, what do you want to be doing in this world to, I go back to this thing about make a difference, have an impact, have an influence and i wasn't trying to raise managers or leaders i was just trying to help people yeah and thankfully we when we landed on that approach we saw life changing results i mean as far as the work goes people were redefining themselves and then standing up and teeing up a a, a job search and a resume and an interview to go 180 degrees away from where they had been because what they had evolved into doing in their work was not them. It it Mm -hmm. wasn't that better level of themselves that you talk about. They had just gotten on the treadmill and kind of gotten ground down like a, like a stone will get ground down. If you put it in one of those rock tumblers, all the rough edges will get knocked off and it'll all get smooth, but it won't necessarily be pretty, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, um, Seeing people and and having the good blessing of helping people on that journey to, to find that new sense of purpose was a was a very powerful experience.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what I found to be the most rewarding piece of life for me. Um, I remember the first time. So there, there's two things that are that are very, you know, similar for me. Um, one of them, I remember the first time I spoke in a treatment center and shared my story. At the very end of it, I just got this sense that God wanted me to do an altar call. I didn't, I had never done an altar call. I have no idea what an altar call even is at that moment. But I had everybody kind of, you know, close their eyes, bow your head. And like, if you, if you are, and these are people that are in their first 30 days of recovery, you know, that are, that are trying to get a spiritual life. And, and, uh, I asked them, you know, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just put your hand up, you know? And ninety percent of the people in there raised their hand, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what do I, what do, I do now?" <laughs> what, do I do now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do I do now?" Yeah, but I, but it was led, you know, and I, and I felt it and I, and I did this prayer with them and everything. but that moment right there was so incredibly rewarding that had nothing of this planet to give me. you know, like I wasn't going to get paid for it, none of that. And then the other the other thing that matches it is when somebody comes to me that is suffering an addiction, like I can tell if someone is, you know, if they have an issue that they need to fix, if they have a habit that they need to break. And then there's someone that is like just addicted, just hurting really bad, you know? And it's great to help everybody. But when someone is like I was, and then I watch what happened to me happen to them, right in front of my eyes. And I'm getting chills right now. Like there there just isn't something on the planet more rewarding to, more rewarding than that. And that's what I tell people, you know, it doesn't have to be addiction that you overcame. You know, there's there's people that went through a divorce and they suffered for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years before they were able to like even open back up, you know? And maybe they learned something in that 10th year. they wish they would have known in their first year right they should be talking to people that are going through a divorce right now and helping them maybe maybe you know somebody that's a business owner has has lost everything and been bankrupt you know and and just you know in debt all of that and they they came back you know which i think it's something like 88 percent of of millionaires have been bankrupt at some point you know but we need to be helping the ones that are bankrupt now, the ones that just lost everything. We need to be sharing our stories to let people know, like, "Hey, dude, you know, you you learned that you can do this." Like my my first business in recovery, I built to multi million dollars. We were doing 400 uh, 442000 dollars a month when I had a seven figure exit, and then the whole thing came crashing down. You know, I lost a seven figures of net worth at, at the end of twenty twenty one, and I remember. I could have dwelt on that, but as soon as I figured out that there was absolutely nothing I could do, my, because I have so many mentors in my life, my first thought was, well, learned I can make a million bucks, <laughs> you know, at least I know I can do it, Right. so exactly. then I started reading all these other stories of people that went bankrupt, right. you know, and then came back, so we got to be sharing our stories and helping the people out there that are going through the things that, that we've been through.
1: Yeah. Well, not to minimize it or, or, or trivialize it, but you know the old song in the Broadway play: "The sun will come up tomorrow."
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know there there is a new day. So, okay, you blew today. Guess what? There is a tomorrow. If, if you if you hang with it and make be there when tomorrow comes, that's that's the that's the first step. Amen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, well, we'll talk about the specifically the work you're doing now, what, what kind of an organization or what kind of platform are you working from
0: now? Yeah, it's called recovered on purpose. And, you know, while I was while I was working with that other company, and I kind of had it operating to where it didn't need much of my time. um, I was going out to conferences, and I was getting, you know, leadership development and doing all these kinds of stuff. And uh, on my two years clean and sober, I published my book from Chains to Saved. And it's my story, my testimony. And it became a number one bestseller. And it, you know, it was number one bestseller on Amazon for four months in a row. I outsold the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous for a month. And because it was going out everywhere, I started getting messages and emails from people that had read my book, people that, you know, had gotten my book in jail. And they have these like ways that you can email out of jail now, which is really cool. And You know, my book was helping people. My story was helping people. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Okay, so then I start like helping people on social media, you know, using my messenger to help people find recovery and plug them in with resources and different things like that. And then I was at this conference on December 5th of 2019. So exactly 30 days after I published my book and a man came up to me I'd never met before with a copy of my book. He walked up to me, handed it to me and he said, bro, your book changed my life. I have three weeks clean. Will you sign it for me? And when, I, when I, just, I just recognized how powerful our stories are, so I started coaching and training other people in recovery how to write and publish books. The first student, Brittany Priestley, published hers in April of 2020, Mommy Drunkest," and the DA, the district attorney that prosecuted her four times in her addiction, bought a big box of her books he now gives out to women that he's prosecuting that are in the same situation she was in. That's the power of storytelling. So, and it, and it kept evolving and kept evolving. We've published a whole bunch of books um, now, and it evolved into having a, a, you know, I have a pretty large social media presence. We've, we've had months where we've reached, you know, over 50 million people in a month organically with videos and posts and things like that. And the, the premise of it is I teach other people in recovery how to share their stories powerfully in a way that reaches people out there suffering and... Gives them a place to come to. You know, because so many people out there are suffering without knowing where they can go, without knowing who to message or who to email. And we put out all this content so that people out there see it and then they message us for help. And right now, uh, we are almost done with our comprehensive 50 state resource guide for addicts and alcoholics that do not have private insurance or money. Cause that was like me. And a huge percentage of people out there suffering don't have. The ability to even go to treatment until they get Medicaid and they get plugged into the places. And then we have a whole resource team to where we will take them from, you know, reaching out for help all the way to getting them into detox to treatment to plugged into 12-step fellowships, all of that. And then they can come into the recovery speaker course. They can start getting attached to purpose and how to share their story of overcoming addiction and, and get out there and share their story to help other people and start plugging them into resources. And it's, it's building a community that's back on fire about recovery. Because I think that's what us in recovery are missing so much right now, is the fire that it originally started with. Mm-hmm. Because before 1934, the medical community was trying everything to help out al- alcoholics and addicts. And it just wasn't working. You know, they locked us up. There was even a time period where some of us were castrated because they didn't think we should continue making kids. We were, we were locked up in straitjackets in a room in order to not drink or drug. That's how, that's how bad it was. And then these two guys, Bill, uh, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, you know, they met, Bill shared his story with Dr. Bob. They end up getting sober together. They go out and they start helping people. And then when that starts ballooning, they're having a 50 to 75% success rate because the whole thing is about them helping other alcoholics. That's their whole message is we have to go out and help other alcoholics. Like in our first week, we're going out and helping people. And what we've, what we've done now in the recovery community is we've gone back to focusing on the medical community and what they can do, like the treatment and stuff like that. And there's, there's a place for it. But once you're in recovery, once you've found recovery, the way that you keep recovery is you go out and help others find recovery, right? You cannot keep what you don't give away. And we've lost that message. So that's what we do at recovered on purpose.
1: Right. And there's so much power in that for, for anyone who is struggling, the, the ability to reach out and there's. Well, I'm going to say it this way in my in my own life experience, how, how, whatever darkness you think you've got in your life right now, I promise you there's always somebody that's one step down on the ladder even worse off than you are. Mm. And it, and as sad as that is to say, that is the truth and you need to be able to get out of that self-centered and i don't mean that in the that literal way that has all the bad connotations but that exclusive focus of me 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 i you know i'm i'm here i'm there i'm i'm this i'm that i'm not this i'm not that but as you start giving to others giving your time your support your encouragement then all of a sudden all that that veil gets lifted and that darkness starts to become a whole lot more light and things don't look as bad as they were yesterday.
0: Amen. Amen. And that's kind of the whole point is that when we're, when we're doing it for free and for fun, right, we, we get that reward that I was talking about from that treatment center. You know, it's, it's really different. I was just talking to somebody about this today. You know, she's got 30 years in recovery and she wants to build a coaching business and do these kinds of things to start making money, which is fine. But you have to do it in a way where you're doing something different then the altruistic stuff. And if you're making money in recovery, you have to have the for free and for fun over here also, which is the solution. And that's something that a mentor of mine told me. He, he's got you know 33 years in recovery. He's this big you know, conference speaker and stuff. And him and I, it was his message that actually got me to do the steps. And I heard him on a YouTube video uh, uh, speaker tape. And he told me this a few months ago because I've got some big things going on with Recovered on Purpose Some corporations are, are funding us and we're about to do some big press releases and stuff like that. And I, and I was telling him, I was like, man, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to do this right and for good. Like I, if I fall, you know, the whole organization falls. If I was to, you know, relapse and go start using dope, right? And I don't think about that. Like I don't worry about it. But at the same time, I have to be very aware of this lurking disease that's in me and do whatever I have to do to make sure that that doesn't happen. As I'm on the phone with him, he's like, you know, because I've listened to a speaker tape every single day of my recovery, almost six years now, every single day I listen to a message that's powerful, you know, and he tells me, you know, a lot of those speaker tapes you listen to, those guys are dead or drunk, a lot of them. And I was like, I was like, how? How? What do you mean? He's like, well, a lot of them just get this big head that they are, you know, they are this guy that everybody should look at, right? And they stop sponsoring people. And he told me, you always, always, always have to keep at least two people that you're working with for free and for fun. You are helping them with nothing else. You're giving them time. And when I sponsor somebody, like I've, I've sponsored uh, four people down here in Medellin, Colombia, and three of them ended up being girls because that's the only people I could find that needed help. And the beautiful thing is that I'm like, all right, you're meeting me every day. We're going to work for an hour and a half, two hours every single day, read through this thing, do the work together, and we're going we're gonna to figure this out. We're going to get you some, some spiritual relief. And during that, you know, I, I recognize so much how, how that gives me so much more opportunity to do what I'm doing in my vocation. You know, because recovered on purpose, I want to help addicts. But me doing my work and recovered on purpose isn't my long-term recovery. And it doesn't help my long-term recovery. It really helps me to have all this stuff that I'm doing behind closed doors that nobody I'm influencing, I'm telling about. I'm not telling people out there like, oh, guess what I did today for helping somebody for free and for fun. Like no, I did it for free and for fun.
1: <laughs> right. <clears throat> right. Well, Adam, I think this is very powerful, and I want to, for what it's worth, I want to share a story. Uh, Right about 20 minutes before we were supposed to go live for this recording, I I had a little bit of darkness overcome me, and and I I looked at your profile again, and I, I meditated a little bit on it. And I had this kind of dark voice say, "You don't want to do this show, show Doug. This doesn't fit in your your stick. This is not going to work. Uh, you 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 just need to, you know, call Adam, let him know, and say thanks, but no thanks, and all that." And I I sat back and I said, "Who are you and what are you talking about?" Mm. <laughs> and I said, uh, "I'm no. We're going to do this. This is important. I think it is." critically important. And then now that I've heard your story and we've had the discussion we've had, I'm incredibly thankful that I stood firm and said, no, we're going to do this.
0: Amen. And I'm, I'm in a hundred percent belief that that means that there was, there's somebody listening to this and someone that, is, that has listened to this, where their life is going to shift because those things don't show up and try to stop us unless something real was supposed to happen. Right. And I'm getting, I'm getting chills. That's <laughs> yeah. That's it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 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 you know, for those of you who share that faith, share that belief and have had those same experiences, you know what I'm talking about. Just just because you have that epiphany moment that that divine inspiration or uh jesus at the ihop uh that <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean it's miraculously going to be a perfect wonderful life the rest of the way there's going to continue to be trials there continue to be struggles and it's your choice to stand firm and and do what you know to believe what you believe to be the right thing to do
0: yeah 100 percent
1: well, Adam, how can folks get a hold of you and your organization if they do uh, need some help and want some guidance?
0: Yeah, the best uh, the best place to follow me is on Facebook, Recovered on Purpose. And then, if you want to pick up my book, totally free, you can get a digital and audio copy at RecoveredOnPurpose.org. And if you need help, you can also send me a message on the website or on Facebook, and I I'm, I personally respond to everybody. So
1: awesome! awesome. I'd love to talk to anybody. Well, love you brother. It's been pl- pleasure to meet and talk and uh, get this message shared yet again.
0: Yeah, I love you too, Doug. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, folks, with that, we're going to put a close to this and I I I do want to stress if if you or someone you know is struggling, you need to reach out. There there are opportunities, there are helps. I am somewhat compelled to say I am not a medical health professional. Nothing I've said today should be taken that way. If you need help, find help. And Adam has described a great platform that he is developing and continuing to grow that can get you started and get you on that journey. So please, please take advantage of it. With that, I'm gonna sign off, say goodbye, and thank you for listening in. You've
0: been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.